Well, if you would, turn to uh, the book of Psalms. Turn in the middle of your Bible and find Psalm 42. We're going to read uh, chapters 42 and 43. And when we read these uh, two short psalms, that'll, you'll see why they, they fit together uh, like they do. Uh, last week, of course, was Easter. And it's a time of celebration. It's Troy, you know, resurrection, new life. Uh, it has that feel of, of new beginnings. God's able to take that which is, just looks like it just has no fitting use and is able to breathe something new into it. Uh, this morning, I want us to think about moving maybe a different direction. Uh, if Easter is, it's easy to see God and where he is and what he's doing, uh, to move and, and talk about those moments in the, in the Christian life or spiritual life where it's more difficult to find God. Uh, where we cannot uh, find him, where we're searching and searching, and he doesn't seem to, to, to be there. Those moments in our lives where we feel like there's a, a depression, if you will, or a darkness that's kind of snuck into uh, our spiritual lives. I think I've shared this in the past with a story about uh, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, who probably could have been one of the first megachurch pastors, uh, just a, a, a gifted uh, Baptist preacher, uh, theologian. Uh, God used him in many ways, uh, certainly in the pulpit, but in, in beginning and starting other uh, ministries. Uh, even though he was Baptist, he is beloved by uh, men and women and other Christians from other denominations. But anyway, in the summer of 1856, uh, the congregation, the crowds that he was gathering were getting to the size where they needed to um, uh, find a, a different space, a bigger space to accommodate all the folks. And so they rented a, a music hall uh, one, uh, for one worship service, and they had thousands of individuals gather in this hall. I mean, it's a huge gathering, huge congregation of folks gathered here. And just as they're, they're starting the service or sometime in the beginning of the service, somebody up in the, the, the I didn't call them stands, but somewhere up in the balcony, I guess. Somebody yells out, fire, and then just sends out just chaos just ensues from that. People, as you would imagine, just all over themselves to, to get, out of, get out of there and, and, and get to safety. And after all things were said and done, seven people had died. They'd been trampled to death uh, on this, and just several were, were injured, as you can imagine, when somebody, something like this happens. And Spurgeon, uh, hearing all this and, and comprehending all this, could not be uh, consoled. He, was, he just took a deep dive just into some, some dark places after hearing about this and experiencing this for weeks, struggling with uh, a depression that came upon him. And my point in, in bringing that up is, is to say the, even great men of God, great men of God that, that the church history holds up as men that God has used in exceptional ways struggle with darkness, struggle with depression, struggle with a, a deep sadness, struggle to find where is God in my circumstances? Where is God in this? How could he allow this to happen? All these kinds of questions. And I think all of us have these moments where we struggle with, God, where are you? What are you doing? Uh, you seem very distant uh, from me. And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 uh, give us words. They give us direction to help us in those moments when we can't find God. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43, 1, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, would you speak to our hearts? Speak to our hearts uh, with your honesty and with your truth. and Guide us into your light. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. My wife is, is always good and always creative about thinking up fun stuff we can do uh, as a family, things that we can do together. And I have no idea how she came across this idea, but she came across the idea of, of geocaching. Now, if you've never heard of geocaching, I think that just makes you a normal person, okay? Geocaching is like a um, treasure hunting, if you will, uh, where you're going to find uh, treasure, quote-unquote, uh, in places that are, are around you. Your map is basically your phone because individuals have hidden things uh, in the area or in a area and they've pinned the, the coordinates for it and it's all linked up to, to one website. And so you plug into that website or you download the app on your phone and you follow it, uh, you let it lead you to that spot and you're to look for treasure now, the treasure could be a, a pill bottle. Uh, the treasure could be something bigger that's a container. The treasure could be obvious to, to see it. It's right there in front of you. You can't really miss it. Or the treasure could be more hidden and more maybe camouflaged. And the idea is, is to find it. And when you find it and you open it up, um, what you'll find, you, generally in each one of them, you'll find some kind of logbook. The logbook could be like a little logbook or it could be just a sheet of paper. And you write your name and the, and the date and, and so on and so forth. And inside, given the 
depending on the size of the container, you'll find some kind of trinket or some kind of keepsake. You know, we found like a toy soldier, I think, and, and you could drop something else into the box, something that you've made or something that's kind of fun that you return to the box. And the idea is you just go around and you find this stuff. And so we set out and we tried it. And it's like, all right, let's try something local. I don't really want to drive to, to Greenville just for this. So let's find something local. And so believe it or not, there's uh, a place, there's a handful of spots in, in Somerton. And so we head on down 301 and just there's one treasure um, just before you get to 95 there. And we found that one pretty simple. It was just a little pillbox and we signed our name in the little log book and folded it back up and put it back in. So feeling very confident, we went out, let's go find uh, some more things. So we kept going, kept going, and we go deeper into uh, Somerton, and we go to, we were led to uh, the, the King Cotton Hotel, the old King Cotton Hotel. Now by old, I mean not like it's, it's, it's still functioning, been around for a while old, but old like it's deserted and you don't want to go there late at night kind of old kind of place, Okay. No windows, the, the roofs are caving in. If you're on the run from the law, maybe it's a good place to go, but uh, not to, like, hang out on a family trip, okay? So we pull into this hotel that doesn't look like a hotel now, um, and the only clue was that you uh, don't go inside the hotel, um, but it's outside of there, and, so, and it's supposed to be a small container, and they say that it's easy, okay? They give you levels, easy, hard, mid-hard, uh, not very hard. Ours was easy. Supposedly it was easy. I still think somebody took it. So we're looking over and back and forth. I mean, we've got four sets of eyes looking for this treasure, back and forth, searching for this, trying to find it, trying to find it, not going into the hotel. Of course, we went into the hotel to check it out. How could you not resist that? And, uh, but we still could not find it. We searched and searched and searched, and we could not find it. Now, the reason I, I bring that up is because sometimes that's kind of descriptive of our spiritual lives. We are looking for God, looking, looking, looking. He feels like he should be obvious. It feels like he should be clearly there. It should be easy to find him, so to speak. But he's not. It's a, it's a struggle to find him. It's a struggle to, to see him, particularly in the context of our, our circumstances and the things that we're struggling with. Often we look around and we look at everybody else and they're like, wow, that God's really doing something in their lives and their lives and their lives. I can't find him. I can't I don't understand that things are, I don't see him right now. Uh, And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 help us. um, Certainly they give us words to to pray and to understand when we hit those dark moments, those moments of deep sadness, even a a, a depression, uh, to struggle to find him. And the psalmist here helps us and I think shapes us and gives us some words. So here's what I want to do with this passage, talk about it in three Three points. I want to talk about the causes of what I'm calling spiritual depression uh, or sadness or struggle to find God. The causes, uh, the symptoms. Sometimes I think we, 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 um, we have the disease, so to speak, of not being able to find God and we don't even know it. And then we'll talk about the cure. Or what, how do we respond to it? What do we do about it? So first, the causes. I think the psalmist here lists some, uh, various causes of his uh, struggle to find God or of his uh, struggle with uh, spiritual depression. The first one is this. He's not where he wants to be. He's not where he wants to be, meaning he's far from the place of worship. You look at verse 2, for example. He says, when can I go and meet with God? He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the, the place where God fully dwells, where God especially dwells with his people. He's not able to be there. 
and it's having an effect on him. Now, we don't know why he is away, but we do know that he is away, that he's out of pocket, so to speak. You look at verse 6, it seems that he's north of the Sea of Galilee at the source of the Jordan River, which doesn't really mean much for us today, but just to say that he's away from and he's prevented from being in this place where his spiritual life is so enriched, where he's able to, to connect with God and know God more fully. Now, is God completely absent from him? Can he not connect with God? Can he not pray to God even though he's at the temple? Yes, he can do all those things. But there was something special about being in that house of God where he's able to see God more fully and more richly. And he has that experience of God there. Now, for, the, for some of us here, there may be times where we're in a, a, a new stage of life, a new situation Or we've even moved to a new place. And the old place is gone. The old stage of life, the old situation of our life is gone. And that was special to us because it was, we really knew God then. We were in a place where we were comfortable. We had our our Christian friends. We had a a place that, that we enjoyed worship and we really connected with God. And now for some reason that's gone from you. It's not there anymore. It's been removed. And because of that, there's a struggle spiritually in your life. You're struggling to find God. God feels distance from you, and there's a deep sadness about you because of that change. The second reason, he's feeling useless. Uh, The author is is feeling useless. James Boyce makes a good point that the, the cause of his drought or the cause of his depression is the feeling of being useless. He's missing out on his calling, so to speak. Uh, These two psalms are written by the sons of Korah, And you ask yourself, well, who are the sons of Korah? They're Levites. They're musicians. They were responsible for uh, the music in the temple, the music in the sanctuary. That was part of their job. That was part of their role to provide that for them. And this author is not able to do that anymore. It's been taken away from him for probably a brief period of time. He's not able to engage and, and, and be used by God like he's been gifted to do. And the application is simple for us. You know, that, that we hit, maybe we're in a spot in our lives where you don't feel useful. You don't feel needed. You don't feel wanted. Your gifts aren't being used like they once were because of the new stage of life or the new circumstances or the new demands on your schedule. You feel useless. Third one, taunting. You look at verse 3 and verse 10, it's, it's obvious to see that people are, are making fun of him, and that's contributing to his spiritual drought and his need to find God. They say out to, flatly to him, where is your God? It's like they're saying to him, God doesn't seem to be a big deal. I mean, you say he's a big deal. You say that God's able to do this and able to do that, and he's a God that is like this and like that, and yet... You're struggling, and yet God doesn't seem to be hearing you. Where is your God? You say God loves you, but he's not doing anything. He's not answering your prayers, and he's suffering this, this, these taunts that he hears from his enemies around him. Now, we may not have people screaming in our ears, so to speak, and taunting us like this, but we do have that unseen voice that can whisper in our ears, that can sow doubt, that can sow confusion. Where is your God? Your God says he loves you, and yet you're suffering this. You pray to him, but he doesn't answer. He must not be there. You hear this voice of doubt 
the speaking of lies uh, into us that drowns out the truth and reality of who God is. The next one, the last one, or next to the last one is, is overwhelmed. In verse 7 it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. We're not sure what is going on again. We're not sure of the specific circumstances of it all, but it's clear from verse 7 that he's feeling what? Overwhelmed. And he talks about these waves. This is not like waves at a, at a park wave pool. This is not waves at the beach, but this is uh, huge waves that are overwhelming to him, that are drowning him out, that are, that are pulling him and, and taking him to places that he does not want to be. He's feeling overwhelmed by his circumstances. And I think this is easy for us to identify. Sometimes we get into places where we feel just overwhelmed. We're struck with a problem that we cannot solve. We're struck with a health condition that we just cannot take with just a couple pills. We're struck with a relationship that doesn't have any simple solutions. We're struck with a, a, a financial problem that's, that needs more attention than just a couple extra hours of overtime. We feel overwhelmed by things, and it leads to a spiritual dryness. The last one, forgotten. In verse 9 and in, in verse 2 of chapter uh, 43, he feels rejected. You put yourself in his uh, shoes and think about what he is thinking, think about what he is dealing with in his circumstances, and how are you going to feel? God, you know I'm in this situation. You know I thrive when I'm in the temple. You know I thrive when I'm doing what you've called me to do. You know I thrive with this and with that. Why don't you answer my prayers? It's a good thing to answer this prayer. This would be according to your will. It would bring you glory and bring you honor. If you brought me back here and if you did this, you did that. And it's no wonder he's beginning to feel, God, have you forgotten about me? Why have you forgotten about me? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you moving towards me? And here's my question. Is, is God everywhere? Yes, we know he's everywhere. The Bible's clear that God is everywhere present. The, the psalmist wouldn't be praying like this if God was not everywhere but he's experiencing something that circumstances are driving to a place where he's not able to engage God fully. He's not able to, to be where he wants to be, and he's downcast. He's depressed. There's a deep sadness. There's, there's a weightiness upon him where he's praying like we saw in the beginning. You know, God, I'm, I'm thirsting for you. It's not something cute. It's not something quaint, but it's a, it's a deep desire that he has for God, and it's not being fulfilled. And before we talk about maybe some applications of some cures for this, let's think about some symptoms. And these symptoms uh, come to us from a Christian author and pastor named Paul Tripp. And he gives us uh, four or five things to be on the lookout for in, in our own lives. And I encourage you as we go through this just to kind of do a mental uh, examination, if you will. Uh, one symptom of spiritual depression is you find yourself giving way to doubt. You find yourself giving way to to doubt. You find yourself in circumstances that you did not expect. All of us have expectations about what the future is going to hold for us. And when those things don't pan out, when our dreams don't come true, when our expectations are not met, we begin to wonder, where are you? We hate to wait. We do not like to wait. And because things are not happening now, they're not happening quickly, God is not responding to us, and we have to wait, and we have to, to trust him, we hit those moments where, God, maybe you're not real. Maybe you're not going to do this. Maybe you're not thinking about me. 
that maybe this is the new normal for me, and we give way to doubt, doubting his love because he's holding back or because we're having to wait. The second thing is you find yourself giving way to anger. You find yourself giving way to anger. When you don't get what you want, what's our response? It's often it's anger. Maybe not road rage kind of anger, we're lashing out, but just kind of a, a deep sense of frustration. And, and we respond with too quickly to, to other people around us because we're not getting what we want. We're not getting what we deserve. And it's certainly compounded when you look around and you see other people, they're doing great. They've got new this and new that. They've got uh, a, a raise at work and recognition at work and their health is, is doing great and so on and so forth. And you begin to wonder, what about me? I deserve that too. And we get angry about it because of how circumstances are dealing with us. The third thing is you find yourself giving way to discouragement. You find yourself giving way to just a discouragement. And this is how discouragement plays out in our head. If only blank. If we're asking if only, if we're making if only statements, we're moving towards discouragement. What if blank? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? Uh, what will happen if blank really comes true? What will happen if this is the new normal for me? What happens if my worst nightmare comes true? Uh, we start to think, what if God does not answer? What if he doesn't answer this week, this month? What if he answers in a way that I'm not prepared for? What if, what if, what if we give way to discouragement? It sneaks up on us. And so it brings with it doubt and worry and anxiety and puts us in a place of just spiritual darkness, spiritual depression. Number four, you find yourself giving way to inactivity. And by inactivity, I mean spiritual inactivity. Spiritual things just don't seem worth it to you anymore. God feels like he's not meeting with you, so why should you seek him? God's not answering your prayers, so why should you pray to him? What's the point? You feel like God has forgotten about you, and so it just leaves you to doing nothing. And the last one is this, closely on its, its heels. You find yourself lacking joy. The promises of God that once struck you, that appealed to you, that the hymns that just really captured your heart and captured your mind and your emotions and just with a deep delight in God, they're just flat. They don't mean anything to you. They're just, it's just white noise. It means it just goes over your head. It carries no weight and influence in your life. You find it easy. It's just easy not to pray anymore. You don't even notice it. You just stop praying. It's easy not to read your Bible anymore. You just One day you wake up and you realize it's been weeks since you opened up and read his word. It's easy not to go to church. Excuses not to go to church become easier and easier to make, and it's easier to justify those things. Even if you do come to church, you just go through the motions of it because you have no joy. You're just there mechanically. You know, you be kind of distanced from people. You're not really engaged. You're, you're singing, but you're not really singing. You're praying, but you're not praying. You're listening, but you're just ready to go. You're just going through the motions because there's no joy in it. Now, if these are the symptoms, these are the causes, how do we respond to this? What, what do we do when we see these things happening in our lives, in our spiritual lives? Well, there's two things I want to emphasize. The first one is, is this. It's, it's public worship. It's public worship. I think the psalmist prescribes this uh, by his desire to, to be with God's people, to be together uh, with others. 
who worship God and believe the same. Verse 2, he longs to appear before God. Verse 4, he longs to be with the people of God in public worship. And for us, what this means is, is guarding this block of time, guarding this part of our lives. It means preparing our hearts and our minds to come here. It means not just moving through it in a mechanical way, but coming and entering through these doors ready to engage, ready to, to hear truth, ready to embrace truth, uh, prepared to just kind of let all the, the silliness that may be going on around us in our lives just to put us to the side. You engage God. It means choosing to believe. Unbelief is easy. It's easy just to not believe at all. And when you do that, fear caves in. Anxiety caves in, worry caves in, and that's descriptive of who you are. The other response we can have is, is faith, is trusting God, is, is believing in God and drawing close with his people. Is church hard? Is church difficult? It is very hard. Maintaining a, a regular community of God it, it, with God's people is very difficult because we're all sinners. We're all broken. We come with our, our, our issues, our hearts are our messes in our own lives and we're all together like this being the community is hard but it's what god has given us he's given us this assembly he's given us this this uh, congregation to be a part of to draw strength from to be encouraged by to be sharpened to love one another to serve one another and that's the first prescription if you will but the one I want to major on uh, especially the first maybe cure I think that the psalmist gives us for our uh, depression and our darkness is what we see in verse 5, what we see in verse 11, and what we see in, at the end of verse of chapter 43 as well. You saw the refrain, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And what's he doing? What's he doing in that refrain as he repeats that over and over and over again? What he's doing is he's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. He's saying that you've got to remember truth. You've got to remember your reality. You've got to remember who God is and what it means for you. He's saying, I'm not going to do nothing with my heart. I'm not going to let it slide into unbelief and to slide into worry and anxiety and fear and all those kinds of things. But I'm going to grab hold of my heart with truth, with the reality of who he is and say, this is what you need to believe. This is what you need to focus upon. If there is a classic book about spiritual depression, it's by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in his opening chapter, he talks a great deal about Psalm 42. And this is what he says about this application to our lives. He says this. He says, the first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn to take ourselves in hand. He is talking to himself. He's addressing himself. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. In spiritual depression, we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that, the most, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So he stands up and says, talking about the psalmist, self, listen for a moment. Then you must go on to remind yourself of God, of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then 
end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for he is my God. Taking yourself in the hand and saying he is my God, that you will know his hope, that what you're experiencing now, that is not your new normal that God is going to change all things, that there is a hope of salvation, the hope that God is a part of your life and is in your life is real and true. And yet some of you sit there and you hear this and you think, I've done this. I pray to him. I pray earnestly. I pray honestly. I, I, I hear the truth. I re- try to remind myself of God's promises. And yet he seems so distant from me. Or some of you hear these things and you wonder, is it worth it? Does God really love that much? Is he really that good? Is he really that gracious? Would he really think about me? Would he really do that in my life? I see how he does in other people's lives, but he really do that for me. Would he really give me that hope, that kind of joy in my life? Let me leave you with, with this, and then we'll, we'll close in, in prayer. Why you should trust him relates to verse 3 of chapter 43. Psalmist writes, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. The psalmist says, I I know I need his truth. I know I need his life. And I know God needs to lead me and direct me. And this is the hope that I I want to, to give to us. Yes, God does control all of your circumstances. He controls all things. And he's brought you into these circumstances for for whatever reason that he has in his infinite wisdom and infinite grace. And those circumstances may be hard. But remember, too, that God was brought into hard and difficult circumstances. That you are not alone in that. We just celebrated it. We just got off a, a week of Easter highlighting the fact of Christ's suffering Christ's abuse, Christ's humility, Christ's agony on the cross, how he was forsaken by the Father for us. To remember that he knows circumstances that are beyond our imagination and he endured them. That he went through that darkness for us so that we will never ultimately know the reality of darkness. That that we will always be a people of hope because the cross says to us what? I love you. I love you this much. Yes, your circumstances may be very difficult, but there is a joy, there is a peace, there is a rest, there is a contentment you can have in the midst of that. I've earned it for you. I've done it for you. Are you willing to preach truth to yourself? Are you willing to rest in that truth? Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you as people who are are weak, who are easily persuaded, who easily give way to discouragement, anger, doubt, fear, worry. Father God, and we ask in these moments that you would give us the grace by your Spirit, take us and preach to us your truth. The reality of all that you are would be louder and more clear and more fuller than anything else. And that we would know the hope and the joy of being your people. 
a joy and a peace that goes beyond our circumstances, a life that can be found in you. Give us the grace to struggle well and to seek you and to follow you and to trust you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.